Good afternoon. So, yeah, as they said, this is the start of our new series. And I don't know if you're like me and can perhaps relate to this scenario, but I would say the past two years um, has been a bit of a change in my prayer life, a bit of a change in the way I communicate with God. Um, since coming to uni, I don't think it's correlated, don't worry. Um, but I would say that I really struggle to feel the presence of God, or I really struggle to hear him or experience um, perhaps images he might place in my mind when I'm praying, like I used to before it. It was a period where I didn't feel God on show when I was praying. Um, and I'm slowly coming out of that. There's something changing. But the book of Ruth, for me, really helps me resonate with this idea of God using people to communicate through and not necessarily lightning bolts, miracles, and something staring you right in the face. But it's a really beautiful story, and it's like the subtleties of God at work in people. That is something that we'll be drawing out of in this series. So as an overview of the story, we're going to start with a king. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is David. He's a pretty great person. He had a very high reputation as a ruler. And just a little side note, Jesus was an ancestor of his. So he's in the line of the Son of God. Quite a big deal. But this king would not have been king had it not been for some pretty terrible circumstances about four generations before him. So this is where we come to know Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, our focus of today. And Ruth, the title of the book. So these women were put in one of the worst circumstances probably women of that era could have faced, apart from slavery. See, Naomi was an Israelite. She had moved to the land of Moab, where she travelled with her two sons and her husband. Her sons had married, one of them to Ruth, but her sons and her husband had all died. Bible doesn't give us much detail as to why, but that's a pretty epic occasion to happen in your life. The physical security is gone, the, the financial security is gone. They were left two women, both widowed, alone, in quite a vulnerable position. So Naomi did the only thing she knew to do. She went back to her default. She went back to Israel. So she'd left Israel because they were facing a famine at that time, and they were just coming out of that. Things were getting a bit better. So she went to the only place she knew was familiar. And the story starts to unfold with all these coincidences, all these wrong people in the right place, all these people showing incredible generosity when they needn't, and these people um, showing incredible loyalty particularly next week as we look at Ruth, we'll see the loyalty between Ruth and Naomi. It's like an incomparable companionship where they lay everything down for each other. And the story ends with a grandson being born between Ruth and Boaz, the third character we'll hear in the third part of the series. And this grandson then is put in the line of David. And because Naomi is an Israelite, David becomes king. So that's the overview but as we said this week, we're zooming in on Naomi. She's an older woman. She's an Israelite, as you mentioned. She's in a very vulnerable position. She's a widow. And she's a believer in God. I want us to note that what happened to Naomi, the tragedy she faced, the difficulty she was put in, could have ruined her life could have ruined her relationships, could have ruined her faith. All of that was an option. She wasn't in some impenetrable force field. 
wasn't affected by our emotions or by grief. No, no, it could have ruined her. When she arrived back to Israel, people just about recognized her. She looked a bit haggard, understandably, and she was with some foreign girl that none of them had seen before. And she told them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. How crazy is that? She's literally like, don't call me my old name. My circumstances are so bad. The situation I'm in is so bad. That's my identity now. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. She felt punished by God. It's a funny misbelief, but I think even now we can fall into that. Oh, this is happening. God must be disappointed with me. I knew that wouldn't go well. Maybe my motives were wrong and, and God's punishing me in it. She felt punished. But this idea of bitter, I think, I think it's interesting. It's like holding a grudge. That's what I think of when I think of bitter. It's like she's holding a grudge against God. She's resentful against him, perhaps. Maybe we can relate to that. Unanswered prayer, ongoing suffering. You kind of have a bit of a chip on your shoulder towards God, maybe. She also goes on and describes herself as feeling abandoned. She's confused, like most of us would be in that situation. And she feels empty. She's worn down by all the uncertainty, all the decisions she's had to make, which she never foresaw having to make. Now, I've been through recently a bit of a stereotypical experience as a third year student, kind of all the uncertainty of the next year hit me at once. It's quite overwhelming. For the first year in my life, there wasn't a structure to step into the next year. It wasn't like year 11 to year 12 to year 13 to first year. There were so many choices in front of me. It was quite unknown and uncertain, quite overwhelming. But the story of Naomi gives me hope. It gives me hope that even when she didn't feel it, even when she didn't realize it, even when she couldn't see it, God was close. He was at work. He was interwoven in her entire story. And this kind of brings out attention, I think. It's attention that comes across, it comes up in all different sorts of conversations. I find it comes up particularly when you talk to people who don't follow Jesus, you don't quite get the whole faith idea don't quite know how you could believe in a God that you can't tangibly see face to face. And for me, that tension is between understanding and trust. Understanding God's purposes, his plan, all the practicalities, and trusting that he's steadfast, that he's concrete, that he's unchanging. So naturally, I was like, well, what does the Bible say about this? And then I remembered this catchy verse It's found in Proverbs 3, verse 5, and it goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If only it were as easy as it were catchy. I think I've heard that many times, but suddenly put in this context, sheesh, it's quite a challenge. But actually there's lots of Old Testament examples of people facing this tension. This tension between understanding everything God's up to and trusting in him. You can check out the book of Job. That's a guy who faced a lot. And I'm sure he was absolutely confused in the midst of it. But he had incredible obedience to God and trust in him. 
Some of you might know the story of Moses and the freed slaves leaving Egypt. They literally wandered around a desert in circles, waiting for God to reveal that promised land that they were pursuing in faith of his faithfulness, of his steadfastness, of his promises. The Bible teaches us to seek the truth. It doesn't say stay ignorant to that. It says seek the truth, but don't kid yourselves that your intelligence, your understanding, can understand an entire plan of eternity of a God that's bigger than even our imagination can comprehend. It tells us we're part of a huge picture, a huge plan, but part of it. Now, lately, it's been occurring to me a couple of instances of God being this perfect parent, this idea of him being this perfect heavenly father, above human expectations, above any earthly experiences any of us have, above any human efforts, above what we're capable of, even on our good days. And it got me questioning, would a perfect parent want to teach us to trust him, to know him as a parent who's got our back, who knows us, who has a plan, or to analyze every detail, second guess his judgments, until we're just about convinced enough to take a step. I think he wants us to know, because it's repeated in the Bible, that he's steadfast, that he's unchanging, that he's worthy of our trust and worthy of our faith. It's interesting, actually, in Naomi's life, she trusted him, but she wouldn't have even known that her grandson was born into the line of David and then Jesus. She wouldn't have known that. We look back at this story, see it as an incredible blessing, but she would have died and not known that that was the way things were heading. She wouldn't have known the line that, that she'd been placed in, even if it kind of was a bit of a haphazard way to being put in that. When times shake us, when something flips upside down, do we view God as backing off or do we view him as near? Do we blame him? for our circumstances? Do we get bitter or do we trust him? See, the story of Naomi shows a faithful God, shows him providing the incomparable companionship and dedication from, Ni from Ruth, her daughter-in-law. It shows completely unexpected generosity and loyalty from Boaz, who, spoilers, shouldn't have even been the guy looking after them. And he provides her with the hope of this grandson, who isn't even a blood relative, who she gets to nurse as her own. Now, this grandson is no consolation prize, doesn't make up for it all, but he's part of her life restoration. Naomi doesn't have a quick fix. She doesn't have a resurrection of her sons and her husband that she dearly loves. She doesn't even necessarily have a happy ending, but she has greater flourishing. Her life is fuller. She has a deeper relationship with the people around her because of the vulnerability she's had to face. She develops a fuller understanding of God's faithfulness, of him pulling through. Despite her pain, God doesn't give up on her. God still makes in her the woman he intended for her to be. 
He never gives up on us, no matter how confused or disappointed we are. But I wonder, even though we see the richness that came from the struggle Naomi faced, do we still find ourselves praying for quick fixes? To be teleported out of something that's really difficult, that we just don't want to face, just take it away, God. This is quite real for me at the minute, actually, because some of you may know, for about coming up to two years, I've struggled with really bad back pain. I've had prayer for healing for it countless times. And you see, the thing is, I know God can heal in an instant. I've seen it happen. I know he can do it. But I'm praying for this, this healing. And I'm wondering if that's my quick fix. I'm wondering if in praying for that continuously and getting bitter every time that prayer isn't answered, I'm actually missing out on lessons he might want to teach me. As much as I would rather have a very healthy back healthy back that most 21-year-olds experience. But maybe the vulnerability I've had to show with friends when I just don't know what to pray anymore, maybe that's building something in me. Having to worship, even when I really don't feel like it because I'm actually in a load of pain, <laughs> having to persevere with prayer, that's something maybe I should dwell on more. See, God doesn't wish this pain on us. He didn't wish that tragedy on Naomi. He doesn't want us to go through that. But he can use even that. He can use even the situations we don't see a way out of. Even the situations we can't see an inch of hope in. Even the situations that we can't see beyond. That all we can see is the bitterness, the struggle, he can still use that. And it's funny, our imagination of God as we read his word, as we talk about him, hear about him, it can, rather than expanding our minds to all he can be and more of his fullness, it can limit the way we see him. It can limit the way we expect him to act. We can try and pigeonhole him, thinking, well, he can't act in this scenario. I mean, what's the point in praying for that? There's no way out of that. And we think of like human means of getting out of situations maybe, but we limit what God can do and forget that it's actually unfathomably more. We forget that his purposes, his plan, is so much bigger than our momentary experience. We forget the hope that even though things are not okay now, that doesn't mean they never will be. See, the story of Naomi shows us that he can intervene in our disappointment, in our bitterness, and he can make something quite extraordinary. It shows us that like Naomi's life pointed to something so much bigger than her, a line so much more influential than she could ever have been, a story so much bigger than it would have been if she were the main character in it all, so too do our lives point to something bigger. So, I want us to take time to think about this. Two things in particular. I want us to think about how this applies to us, how the story of Naomi influences our story. Because there's nothing particularly special about her. There's no one quick 
trick she does that I can say, do this, do exactly what Naomi does, and it'll be redeemed, sorted, fixed. But the fact that her life points to something bigger and that she was really ordinary gives us hope that our lives point to something bigger, even though we feel like the wrong people sometimes. So there's two things I'd like us to do. The first one is about G2. It's growing, it's changing. It's a church that constantly adapts. But it's a church that some might say has an uncertain time ahead. Who knows what shape it will take? But what we do know is God has a greater purpose for his church. He has a greater plan that he wants us to take part in and appreciate. And I wonder what it would look like. What it would look like for us to focus on that and build towards that, whatever that is, in times of transition or change or growth or adaptation. So yeah, I want us to take some time to think about that, but I also want us to do something about ourselves personally. This is where the font-like object comes in handy. I want us to use the piece of paper under our chairs, and I want us to write down an area, an issue, a time, a place, a person where we feel bitter about it, or we feel pain about it, or we don't see God at work in it, or we don't feel hopeful about it. Something can be tiny, can be big. Nothing is too trivial or too huge. And I want us to put it in there. And as we put it in there, we're not casting it away, saying it doesn't matter. We're not throwing it away, saying, sort this out, God, in an instant. We're saying, God, I want you to use it. God, I want you to teach me through it. I want you to show me the hope in it. And I want you to blow my mind with how this thing that I feel bitter about or hopeless about or struggle with, I want you to blow my mind with how you can change it, how you can change my perception of it, how you can use it for my good, how it can be part of your big plan, even though right now I wish it weren't a reality. So there's two things. And Dan's going to play a song over us then we'll go into a time of worship. But two things. I want us to think about G2, how we as a church body play a part in that greater plan that God has, that God is faithful through any times of change or uncertainty and how we can keep our eyes fixed on that as a church. And then individually, think about it, write it down and declare God's authority over it, God's faithfulness in it and his ability to blow our minds and do something extraordinary. Thanks, Dan. Hello, I'm Gemma. Um, I just want to say something to everyone who is here who's above the age of 20, 24, 25. Um, and I wanted to say thank you, because I've been standing at the front and I basically realised that every single person who's involved in leading the service today, um, at least from the front, um, 
is 22 or not older than 22. Um, so if you're, if you're older than that, thank you so much for putting up with, with us today and being here today and, and being willing to learn from people that are younger than you. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Naomi and Ruth. And like as Sarah was sharing, Naomi was going through a lot of stuff that Ruth probably didn't actually understand at all. Um, so there's something about experience that helps us understand things. And when we've not got the experience, we can't understand. Most of the people leading today can't understand what you are going through if you're, if you're older than us. Um, and yet Ruth's heart is just like, I, I, I just want to come with you. And Naomi maybe found Ruth a little bit annoying, like, oh, Ruth, you just don't get it, just go home. But eventually she like, let Ruth come along. So yeah, just thank you. If you're, if you're older than 22, um, thank you for letting us be with you. Thank you for, um, for letting us lead and yeah, um, be here because I think it's fab. <laughs>